0: Did um, anybody read Three Lamentations before we started? It's not a big deal if you didn't, but um, just kind of curious if people did any of the the reading beforehand.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, cool.
1: I got a little bit in.
0: Okay. So uh, Mark and I have gone to – I think we maybe just had one class together, if I'm not mistaken, at GBS. Um, I I can't remember what the class was. One, maybe maybe two. Okay. But yeah, not a lot. Great. And my friend Aaron here met through a mutual friend, and he is, would it be fair to just describe you as a physicist?
2: (laughs) Physicist by day, astronomer at night, and I sleep when it's overcast.
0: (laughs) All right. And uh, uh, Daryl is um, one of the, I guess, associate pastors at my church, and he uh, leads the Sunday morning Bible study. And uh, as we're... um, finding obviously congregating is not such a simple thing anymore um he and i had had some conversations about uh zoom and he's interested partly in seeing sort of how that would work out and having multiple people and how a conversation like that might work so it is officially 305 if anybody else wants to join that's fine but i might go ahead and start and if you guys are uh, cool with it I'll just kind of go through my presentation if anybody wants to interrupt that's not gonna bother me and um, but we'll uh, you know any questions that come up are, are totally fine we'll go through them okay so I'm gonna bring up my PowerPoint and now I'm going to turn it and turn it, set up slideshow I probably should try to full screen it there we go Does that look okay for everybody Good. So I've uh, tentatively called this reading Lamentations in a Time of Pandemic, because I thought it sounded exciting. Um, no, but, but honestly, it you know, Lamentations is one of those books that because it deals with, um, you know, issues of kind of human fear and anxiety and trying to make sense of it all, I know that for the most part here in the United States, we're not dealing with, uh, you know, COVID-19 in the way that maybe the anxiety that they're feeling maybe in Italy right now but it's definitely a change from how we're used to doing it and I know a lot of people are nervous I've got friends and family who are definitely stressed out and um, so I thought you know maybe we'll deal I thought what what better way to try to address this than to look at one of the most difficult books in the Old Testament and uh, see what it has to say (laughs) so I'll start by kind of just going over big picture stuff what it's about so, um, for those who aren't too familiar, like I said, some, some folks I know have I've looked over it a little bit or read it before, but it's about the judgment of God against the Hebrews' southern kingdom of Judah. Now, uh, after Solomon, the uh, Israel had split into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern. The northern was still called Israel and had about 10 of the tribes out of the 12. And then the southern tribe, or southern kingdom, Judah, had Judah and Benjamin, but Judah was the bigger part of it, so they just called it Judah. And... A couple hundred years before this, Israel had already fallen to Assyria. So at this point, Judah is kind of what's left in the land. And they had, the issue that Lamentations is addressing is that Judah had forgotten the covenant they had made with God. And as forewarned from the time of Moses, they had been besieged by an enemy, in this case, the Babylonian Empire. Excuse me. So what I want to kind of deal with before we get into this too much, because it's going to be something we're going to be thinking about is this idea of the wrath of God, because it's become very unpopular today. You'll you'll find it all over the ancient world, but we're not not too fond of it. (laughs) And, you know, while on a textual basis, you could read a text like Lamentations and say, okay, maybe some of this language is literary device or metaphor, and, you know, maybe to take it too literally would, would, would be to misunderstand what the author is saying, it, it seems to me that most of the criticism that I've heard is of an emotional and cultural nature. So this idea of, of, of a God of wrath and not only of love is very unpleasant to a lot of modern Western people. And I, we can talk about that as much as you guys want to, but for the most part, I really just want to just start with that as, as just kind of before we go into it. And I'm going to argue, kind of make one sort of philosophical argument um, that might help us to – at least be more open to considering the way the author is looking at this, which is that as we look at human suffering, we've got three ways that we could think about it. One way is to say, well, human suffering is incompatible with the loving God. Therefore, God must be powerless to stop it. So you had this idea in Zoroastrianism where you have a, a good God and a bad God, essentially, they have equal power. Eventually the good God's going to win, but who knows you know, how long that's going to take. <laughs> And so anything that bad that happens, well, that's just because there's this bad God who's just as powerful as the good God. Now, this would contradict both biblical and traditional notions of God, where God is, you know, all-powerful. Um, he may choose to limit his power, but ultimately um, he's not incapable of doing any, you know, of, of in, in interacting or interceding. So the problem with that is that it is basically a major challenge to, how God is described, definitely in in Western theology, but I would say the Bible as well. So that's the problem with that. The other option is that we could say human suffering is incompatible with a loving God, and since God is a being who could stop suffering if he wanted to, he must not exist. I think the problem with with this argument is that it it begs the question a little bit. So in order to argue that human suffering is, is an evil, we have to have an assumption about sort of good and evil as major categories. And if we remove God from the picture and all we have is our subjective experience. And these are the experiences of creatures that just sort of, you know, emerge through the, through processes that were completely unguided for no particular purpose. Then I think suffering becomes less of a challenge. It just makes sense. It's what happens. And at that point, you can't really use it as an argument against God. <laughs> so I think that, that that also is a problem. Now, our third option, which is how I think the, the Bible and, and Lamentations is, is putting it together, is to say that, well, God must sometimes allow or even cause suffering because we see it and he's powerful. But as a God who is good and who will raise the dead and repair our world, which tells us that suffering is not God's final purpose for us, He can be trusted even in our momentary suffering. Now, that might not be totally emotionally satisfying at all points, um, but it is, I think, a better answer than the other two options. And so in any case, even if you don't agree, I think that will help you to understand where the author of Lamentations is coming from. And if you disagree with him at the end of it, that's fine. (laughs) Now, composition. Composition. Um, so the most common view is that this is written by the prophet Jeremiah after the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, and if you read Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet, (laughs) and he is this guy who's going out saying, listen, Judah, you need to get it together. You're breaking the covenant. You're, You're not obeying. You're not doing all these things you're supposed to do, and God is going to judge you. He's going to send Babylon in, and he's going to destroy Judah and Jerusalem, and other false prophets come in and say, hey, this Jeremiah guy is just trying to weaken morale, and, you know, we're God's people, and we don't have to worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. And so, <laughs> um, so that, that's, that's kind of the background on Jeremiah. So the Hebrew text actually doesn't claim an author, but the, the Greek translation that is commonly used the Septuagint does claim Jeremiah as the author in chapter 1, verse 1. Quote, and it came to pass after Israel's taken captive and Jerusalem made desolate that Jeremiah sat weeping and lamented with this lamentation over Jerusalem and said. Um, and I kind of give you a little background on Jeremiah. By the time the Babylonians come in, he has been imprisoned, <laughs> essentially, because he's um, saying a lot of things that people don't like. And so <laughs> for all this trouble, he's, he's thrown in the can. Uh, and then, of course, the Babylonians because they sort of see him as one of their friends. They release him when they come in. (laughs) Now, another view um, is that it wasn't written by Jeremiah, but maybe by Jewish exiles returning to rebuild the temple. Um, This argument has to do with the fact that um, that we found some other literature uh, laments that were written uh, after a rededication of a temple, and so that's essentially the argument for that. Now, these five chapters um, in Hebrew are actually five poems, and the first four are acrostic, which if anybody uh, doesn't have that word access to access quickly at the top of their head, uh, it means that it follows a ABC or Aleph, Bet, Gimel <laughs> structure. So all this, uh, all except apart from the last chapter, everything we read in Lamentations is going to, each section or each, um, each line, each verse is going to start with a uh, Aleph, Aleph, Bet, Bet, something to that effect. And that's uh, for genre, Lamentations is a, hold on to your hats for this one, Lament. It has some similarities, uh, but also important differences from other Lament or Lamentation writing of the time, which was composed by Judah's pagan neighbors. Uh, because we don't read a lot of ancient Near Eastern literature uh, anymore, we're often surprised to find out that biblical writing is uh, follows a lot of the same literary conventions that other writing at the time did, including writing that was done by pagans. So some similarities we're going to see is that destruction uh, is the result of the wrath of a god, that the deity abandons the city. Uh, oftentimes there's a stylistic change between first, second, and third person perspectives and cries of woe throughout. We're going to see that in uh, Lamentations. We're also going to see it if we look at uh, other um, ancient Near Eastern Lamentation writing. Important differences uh, would be that in Lamentations, the righteousness of God is the reason why the city must be destroyed, not fate. And that's important because in, in paganism, I, I'll, you'll sometimes hear people like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens say, uh, you know, I'm an atheist, well, not Christopher Hitchens anymore, unfortunately, but you'll hear them say things like, um, you know, I'm, um, we're all atheists when it comes to every other god, when it comes to Odin or, uh, or Zeus or whomever. But, but I go one further. I'm also an atheist when it comes to the biblical God. And that implies that uh, essentially when you go from polytheism to monotheism, it's just a matter of subtraction. It's, it's a quantitative difference, not a qualitative difference. Uh, but that's actually not the case, because when you have one God who creates everything, you have a model of the universe which is transcendent, a model of the cosmos which is transcendent. When you have polytheism or pantheism, What you essentially have are these lesser deities who are just big, big humans. They have more power than we do, but they emerge out of this immaterial—sorry, this material uh, stuff—that's preexistent, just like we do. And so, in polytheism, what you what you essentially have is even the gods are held by fate. Um, So the major difference here is that if you read lamentations in the Bible, um, God isn't. Um, just carrying out some destruction that fate has already predetermined is going to happen, uh, he is, you know, ultimately going to be blamed for it because he's at the top of the, the, you know, he's the big enchilada. So um, another, another difference would be in Mesopotamian texts, the deity is presented in more human-like terms such as being aroused from sleep. And because there are all all these other gods, um, you're going to see pleas of intercession that are going to be made to these lesser gods you know, um, so it might be, you know, uh, Baal has abandoned us, um, Ashtaroth, you got anything for us, can you help us out, and, you know, <laughs> something to that effect. Themes, uh, we're going to deal with human suffering, the judgment of God, the mercy and love of God, the tension between the two, and our struggle with seeing God as loving in the midst of pain, fear, distress, and tragedy, and also, of course, the covenant, because that's the big deal. The God made this covenant with Israel, they broke it, and this is the result. Now, before we start looking at uh, kind of big picture chapter stuff, uh, is everybody tracking so far? Are there any questions, comments, uh, anything at all? Um,
2: so as you were talking about the, the polytheistic treatments of other possibly contemporary works, it reminded me a lot of, of the Iliad, where mm. Zeus is like weighing the scales of fate, which in, in effect you could interpret it either way, but it's, uh, you know, one possible interpretation is, is he following the orders of fate or is he the one determining the fate and that kind of stuff? And then, of course, there are all the human and animalistic characteristics having to do with the Greek deities and whatnot. So yeah. it's nothing, nothing really big.
0: It's just like, oh, hey, yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, so. it made a connection. Well, and it, it, you know, you, you are a, uh, you volunteer at the, um, um, I'm losing my words right now. So <laughs> you, uh, I just went to visit you down at the observatory. So you volunteer there regularly. And um, even though, of course, uh, we don't look at the stars the same way now, um, we still have these constellations that emerge from, um, you know, paganism, right? You know, the, these symbols and, and, and characters. And one thing that um, is really interesting to me is if you look at astronomy, in you know, ancient astronomy, where it becomes very difficult to disentangle from astrology, we have this notion of the stars, everything out there, are determining the fates of everything that goes on down here. <laughs> but
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, and with good reason, possibly, because people. Uh, something. Something something that one commonly hears is that people recognized the coming and going of the seasons and their associations with the different patterns of stars they saw in the sky and yeah. and eventually figured out, hey, you can recognize these patterns of stars and predict that in, in the future it's going to be time to plant or harvest or, or whatnot, or at least it's gonna be warmer or colder and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely I think a a natural tendency of people um to you know see these patterns and and build off of them even if they're extrapolating into things like well if if the stars predict where it's going to be or when it's going to be warmer or colder then they're going to predict like when i should get married or not get married or that kind yeah. of stuff
0: too. well there's there's kind of a pre-scientific science there, right? I mean, what they're doing is they're noticing patterns and trying to put something together. Um, And maybe we we figured out some things a little better than they have, but the actual mechanism is not that different. Oh, I'd I'd say they were using the scientific method and it
2: worked very well in certain cases and, um, you know, was extrapolated beyond uh, where it worked well in other cases, which is often, you know, that's still done today. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. Well, I had some more thoughts Now We'll go past that because we're, we're getting out of lamentations a little bit. <laughs> all right. So chapter one. So we're going to see that the first half of chapter one is in the third person. An observer is lamenting as they see what happened to Jerusalem. Whereas her people were once the chosen people of God, separate from all the nations as God's bride. She's now like a widow who's been abandoned by her friends. The language of no one to comfort and no one to help is used throughout this chapter. This is supposed to be the result of God bringing judgment because of Judah's sin, which is described as a kind of spiritual adultery. So that husband and wife language sometimes gets used because of a it's a kind of covenant relationship that gets compared to marriage. The second half of chapter one is in the first person. Jerusalem asks uh, passersby who see her state to pity her, but there are none to comfort her. Um, did anybody? Did anybody? Ha- as they're reading chapter one, have any observations or any verse that stuck out or anything that created problems for them or anything like that? Uh, Verse 18 was one that stuck out to
3: me as I was reading through it. Uh, It talks about the Lord being righteous and uh, Israel being the one who rebelled. And Mm -hmm. just throwing that out there very early on in in the reading of it, um, just, just, making that note from the beginning just saying it's not on god that this happened yeah maybe god is is partially responsible for it but it's as a result of sin as well yeah and throwing that out real early i think really sets the tone for the rest of the book
0: yeah and and i noticed that so right after that verse is the one where uh jerusalem says i called to my lovers but they deceived me and in my notes there, I talked about their friends not responding to them. The idea of friends and lovers has to do with um, these sort of foreign entanglements that Judah's making that they think are, is going to protect them. Right. Um, which which God sees as kind of almost like an idolatry, right? <laughs> at least, at least the author of Lamentations does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. So let's see. As I guess we'll, we'll we'll keep moving forward and see what uh, see what we get into now um i am seeing uh, this little screen where i can see your guys' faces and it sometimes can block what i'm looking at is it blocking what you guys see when i'm um playing the slideshow i don't think it would be i think you can probably see everything on the slideshow right okay
3: and you're just up in the top corner great it's not really blocking anything maybe a
0: little word here and there but it's not bad okay so moving to chapter two then this whole chapter is in the third person God is described as the cause of Jerusalem's sorry state. He's become like an enemy. He's destroyed his own temple. He's slaughtered his people without pity. Some pretty strong language. Um, it's the kind of language that I think a lot of times um, we would, some people would feel uncomfortable using today uh, about God. They would say, "Well, this is a, um, you know sacrilegious language." <laughs> but it's it's their experience. It's how they're uh, how they're seeing it now. Of course, as Mark said, chapter one, they say, "Well, you know." Ultimately, this is not, this is our fault, but, but still their experiences, you've abandoned us, you know. Um, Chapter two goes on to say that this end might have been avoided if false prophets hadn't kept quiet about Judah's sin and only prophesied a God who was on their side no matter what. Even before these prophets, God had warned his people that if they failed to keep the covenant, he would, quote, set his face against them and they would be struck down before their enemies, end quote. That's Leviticus 26, 17. Uh, There's a, that whole chapter is basically a warning. Um, and there's a similar chapter in Deuteronomy. Uh, although I don't recall it off the top of my head, it's a later chapter. Maybe I don't have to think about it. Maybe Deuteronomy 28. Anyway, so with God's uh, protective presence gone and Babylon unleashing their wrath against Judah, the, the the result is that women are eating their offspring. Priests are being killed in the sanctuary and the young people are falling by the sword. And the, the imagery of... of the sanctuary being destroyed, uh, the priests being killed in the sanctuary are, are kind of important because those are these symbols of the covenant. Um, you know, God is there because he's in his temple, his priests are performing the rites, and that's how we know that God has favored us. So basically God is saying all these things that you have sort of seen as so essential were um, really just these uh, symbols or ways that I was communicating myself, and I'm actually perfectly fine with destroying all of them. <laughs> <clears throat> I saw Darrell unmuted himself. Were you going to say something? Or you just uh... I was, but I'll wait. We're good. What? Go ahead. I, I just got to the end of this chapter here. Chapter discussion. Well, I, you know, I, I was just
1: curious. I mean, I think this is very much uh, Deuteronomic theology, is it not?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's the, like the 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 good way and the bad way. The, the fall the, the the right and the left. The two different paths you could take. Exactly. You, you do what I ask. You're good. You don't. Here you go. Yeah. And, which, and the, I'm sorry, go ahead. But I was going to say, yeah, which, which I think sometimes we, we assume that it works that way now, right? That if, if we always do what's right, God is going to bless us. And if we do something wrong or if something bad happens to us, it's because we've done something wrong, which we'll get into that a little bit
1: later. But. Right. Which which is where I was going to go as well in, in terms of theodicy. And, and the number one reason that most people walk away from the faith is because something bad has happened to them when they think they were doing it right and doing it well.
0: Yeah. So that must mean either God doesn't care, he doesn't exist. Correct. <clears throat> gotcha. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts on chapter two before we move forward?
2: <clears throat> no, but for the first time in my life, I understand
0: why it's called Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And then <laughs> nomi or nomos. Second, so it's actually second law giving. Second law. That makes sense. See, Second for, law. For...
2: The, for the other folks i'm not a biblical scholar by any means whatsoever so these are new
0: revelations to me (laughs) all right so we'll jump to chapter three this chapter begins and ends with a first person reflection from the man who has seen affliction he claims to have been driven into the darkness like a dead man and says that his prayers have been shut out by god but while the author speaks of his hope in the lord perishing He goes on to renew his hope in light of what he knows about God, that his steadfast love never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, and that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Thus, it is good for one suffering to wait patiently, knowing that God will save. Quote, the Lord will not cast off forever, end quote. This is especially true of the man like Jeremiah, who has been persecuted unjustly. God will avenge such a man. And that's, I mean... As you read lamentations structurally, that's like this really fascinating thing is that you're right in the middle of all this stuff about you know uh, you've abandoned us um you know you, you've shut out our prayers um you know all these kind of you know you know what's what's up God what are you doing right in the middle of all that is this you know your 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 steadfast love never ceases your mercies never come to an end and um it's, it's odd to read it because it, it really is surprising, um, although having been in a situation, or been in many situations, where I felt like I didn't understand what God was doing and I felt abandoned, it is odd that you actually do sometimes will have those little revelations right in the middle of it, <laughs> where you sort of feel, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, you'll, you'll, I don't know, you'll see God more clearly somehow in that moment. Um, And um, well, I'll give, excuse me, I'll give one example. Um, I had a a friend who I went to high school with who died of bone cancer. And um, when she was in the hospital, I went to see her a number of times and she looked, didn't look the same at all. She was, and she was barely lucid. Sometimes she would communicate a little bit. And that was a very, I mean, obviously it was a very tough time for her, but it was a, you know, a tough time for me too, because seeing someone I care about suffering and, um, you know, believing in God and not really being sure what's the deal with this. Um, but for whatever reason, um, <clears throat> this one experience had an impact on me, which was I was uh, asleep and, and I had a dream where I saw her in the hospital bed and I walked of the room for a moment and I came back in and she looked healthy and all the mechanisms and things were gone, all the stuff she's hooked up to. And uh, I said, I thought you were sick. And she said, well, I was, but I'm better now. And at that moment, the phone rang, and it was her mom telling me she just died. Now, could be a coincidence, but it had an impact on me. It was a little moment in the midst of me really struggling to know what was going on where I felt like God was sort of saying, you know, you don't understand what's going on, and I know it's tough, but I am I am a loving God, and I am a merciful God. And it seems that the author of Lamentations here has had this revelation right in the middle of this of God's love, even while he's questioning what's going on. And I saw Daryl's un- unmuted again. You got a thought, Daryl? I don't believe that was a
1: coincidence.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was, but, I, but I, <laughs> I understand. I understand that my experience is going to be hard to translate to someone else, right? But that, yeah, that, that, made, that had an impact on me, but I can't, I can't use it as an apologetic argument or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah. But it depends on your group yeah that's true that's true someone who's who's more uh inclined to, to believe in that would certainly be more open to, to taking that story uh seriously right
2: You're saying right. that to people like me like
0: i'd be like eh, you don't know that that's not a coincidence yeah it, it it of course could be right um but uh yeah it, it, it didn't feel like it to me but once again i think that's there's a sort of complicated thing about knowing and showing right um you know, how do you know God exists and how do you show to someone else that God exists? And uh, I don't think that someone has to um, have gone through and read um, all of Thomas Aquinas and then all the counters and, and, and Bertrand Russell or whatever before they're allowed to believe in God. <laughs> you know, they, they, they're they allowed to have an experience of God um, and and to believe in that experience. Now, that experience doesn't translate to someone else. So if you want to communicate that to someone else, you're, you're going to want to probably present evidence um, that is more difficult for them to refute, something that's not just your experience. So that's, that would say that's the difference between knowing and showing. I share it um, not, not as a proof of God or anything like that, but as, um, as something that came to me as I'm reading how, we'll say it's Jeremiah. Jeremiah is experiencing uh, God in this moment.
2: Yeah, and also I want to add that I'm, I'm not trying to detract from your experience whatsoever.
0: No, I I, I don't take it personally. You're 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 allowed to you're allowed to disagree with me or or uh, doubt my.
2: I wasn't even saying I was disagreeing. Honest, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like. Yeah. Yeah. We we skeptics. We're stubborn. We exist. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I understand. All right, <clears throat> and I appreciate as a skeptic that you're here. By the
0: way. <laughs>
3: Well, and, and I think in the same vein, the, those first 17 verses or so, as he's, as he's talking through the way that he feels, it's kind of giving his perspective on the suffering. This mm-hmm. is what it feels like is happening to me. Um, he, talk, he just gives all sorts of different pictures, breaking my teeth, bending the bow, flesh and skin is made old, broken bones, all sorts of different things somewhat metaphorically but also talking about how he feels inside so yeah. I, I think i think what's going on around us is always going to affect how we respond to situations um, I, I think it that's what he's speaking to a little bit in that first half anyway is just the feeling of suffering
0: yeah absolutely and i was trying to find the, the teeth one because as i read it he has broken my teeth with gravel. It was hard for me to get a hold on that. And and I read a, a commentary where, where the, the commentator was saying um, that what, what he's basically saying is it's like when you take someone's head and you slam their face into the rocks and grind their teeth on the gravel. I said, Okay. Now that is an image. <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, I don't know if anybody saw the movie um, um, American history X, but it's like the curb is like, basically saying God has curb stomped me. <laughs> um anyway okay but but,
1: i mean that that, that's that's good observation in the in the in the vividness of his description of suffering but i think one thing in in our you know 21st century western culture is that because you said as you said earlier cody about we don't we don't look to god in the in the old testament vernacular it's all new testament jesus you know his teachings etc versus that that, that Again, that Old Testament perspective, and if you have that Old Testament perspective, then the, then, the, then, the, then the picture of suffering that the author provides, I think, makes a lot better sense. But unfortunately, we don't like to think of God in that way, so that's how we yeah. disassociate God and our suffering, and that's why we have, I believe, today such a hard time in dealing with suffering.
0: Yeah, and I think also, even as we read the New Testament, we uh, we lean on certain passages more than others. Um, so, sure. any, any of the judgment passages that were from Jesus or, I mean, the, the book of Revelation ends with a whole collection of basically reflections on wrath of God passages from the Old Testament. There, there's almost not a verse in Revelation that isn't appealing to some Old Testament prophetic passage about, about God's judgment. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, Uh, I'm I'm working on a a book on um, the Old Testament right now, and um, I'm interacting with different um, Old Testament scholars and uh, Christian um, pastors and thinkers, and they're kind of in that situation where they say, well, you know, maybe if the Old Testament is saying something that seems to disagree with um, uh, how we understand Jesus, then maybe that's just not really legitimate. That's not really either from God or, you know, something to that effect. Uh, but it seems to me that that those folks aren't aren't really reading all of what Jesus says, <laughs> because it it is much more complicated than to say, well, we have all this bad stuff and God's really angry, and then Jesus comes and everything's better, um, and he's you know he's like almost like a doting grandfather now. It's not not quite that simple. Anyway. Well, I, hmm?
3: there there's a lot of apostasy that Jesus ran into in his day, and. I think we run into a lot of the similar things today, even in our, in our local churches where we're I mean, the one I, the one that sticks out the most to me is the church I was brought up in, where our goal was leading people to Christ, and then there's no kind of discipleship or anything after that. And so people just have this claim that they've made a no relationship, and so they have see bad things happen, and they don't understand why because all that they're going off of is a claim and not a, a, a relationship. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think that lends to it.
0: Yeah. You know, I think for, there's this kind of um, you know, once saved always safe thing that like, you know, once you're in, you're fine. Um, which doesn't seem to be the perspective that Jeremiah has at the very least. Jeremiah seems to be saying, yes, well, you were in the covenant, but guess what? You've broken the covenant and I can break it too. <laughs> um so anyway,
1: yeah. Well, mark, and, I think I think I'm sorry. I guess to say, Mark, no, I go think ahead. you and I, you and I went to that same church.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, and part of the perspective I see because that that church was obviously a a once saved always saved church, um, but at the same time, when we look at it as a, a as covenant breaking. We've made a covenant with God and they look at it and say, well God can never break his covenant and they're and I think in a lot of ways they're right, but when we've broken the covenant, the covenant becomes voided. We voided it. God didn't come down and say, all right, you sinned, you're done. We voided the covenant. And that's what Israel did here with God is they broke the covenant. God didn't break the covenant and that's where I think a lot of people get off on it on God's whole responsibility and yeah God punishes sin but God's not the one that's breaking his covenant with us if anything he's using the punishment for sin to bring us back to the covenant and that's I think what Jeremiah is talking about a lot in
0: here as well well, and if you go back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, part of the covenant is, if you don't keep it, you'll be punished. <laughs> so actually keeping the covenant. It's just enforcing severance right. clause. Yes, you got it. Okay. Yep, all right. Okay, chapter four uh, begins with a lament over the siege of Jerusalem. Gems are removed from the temple and are scattered on the streets. People become greedy and without compassion. Um this is where I'm supposed to plug in our current experience, where if you try to go find paper towels or bread, uh, you can't find any. Um, and uh, p- people who were uh, once rich are now laying on ash heaps. Uh, Jerusalem's condition is so bad that, quote, those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children, end quote. After years of siege, you now this is actually, this isn't just a quick thing. This is happening over the course of many years. Um, And then the last couple, I think, the last year or two is where it really gets ramped up. After years of siege, Jerusalem had been cut off from outside supplies, from the benefit of outside trade, which made wealth and food more abundant. And as a result, people are starved and some are turning to cannibalism. Hmm. While the immediate cause of this devastation was the Babylonian siege, it came about uh, really because of God's wrath, according to verse 11. Uh, which is a response to Judah's sin, particularly the sin for religious and civil leaders, the prophets, the priests, the kings. Instead of turning to God and repenting from the judgment, he had pronounced the people looked to their alliance with Egypt to save them. Chapter 5, unless you have any thoughts on Chapter 4. Uh, I'll save them for the end. Okay. Uh, chapter five breaks from the previous uh, chapters by abandoning the acrostic poetic device. No more Aleph Aleph Bet Bet. It begins with a petition to God to remember Judah, which is to say to respond as the merciful giver of the covenant, uh, similar similarly to how God remembered Noah. So it's it's, it's you know uh, what do you call it a um, um, it's one of those words that that in English doesn't necessarily mean what we you know how they would have used it. Um, can't think of the word, but anyway. So uh, while they once had food and drink at hand, they now had to risk their lives to go and find it. Joy and dancing had turned to mourning. And yet, through the, though the Davidic king, a symbol of God's covenant faithfulness, had fallen, quote, you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation, end quote. And so this is, I think, maybe something to think about um, for those who are Christians because, you know, um, According to the author of Hebrews, all these things that we see in the Old Testament are temporary. They're not really meant to go on forever. So, whereas uh, you know, a Jew will lament the fact that there is no temple in Jerusalem right now, the Christian will say, "Yeah, well, who cares? You know, it was it, it was cool, but you know, it was a symbol. It was there to communicate something, and it's it served its purpose. So, even though the king, who's I mean, he's the symbol, you know that you know God is God is blessing us. We've got our king. He's in control." Now he's gone. And actually, um, I don't think I have any notes on this, but so there were, uh, the Babylonians had kind of put up puppet kings over, because of their influence over Judah. And I think the last one attempted to rebel against the Babylonian king. Uh, and as a result, his children, his, his sons were killed in front of him. And then his eyes were put out. So that the last thing he would see with his eyes was his kids being killed. So, Uh, A very ignominious end. And yet, the author of Lamentations, seeing that all of these elements of the covenant are gone, says, you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Uh, The Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, ends with a petition. In light of feeling forsaken and forgotten by God, the lamenter cries out, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. And yet, in the midst of suffering, he seems unsure if God will do it quote, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure, end quote. That's the last verse. Uh, Any thoughts on chapter five or anything you had a thought on chapter four too, Aaron?
2: Not really a thought so much as a question. uh, Hmm. Like, when, uh, so this is my lack of biblical scholarly showing itself. Uh, When exactly is this occurring? Like, year wise gotcha.
0: 586 is when everything kind of gets it that's when that's when the temple's destroyed and jerusalem's really done for 586
2: BC. Right. let me go grab the writing implement i'll be right back
0: okay any uh, any other questions or observations
1: as you pointed out i think it's important as as we read, to remember that these sieges, like you said, were not a day 's battle, yeah, which is one reason that uh, that society is 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 soft when it comes to these types of crises that we 're experiencing today. Again, we just have never had to endure that, and it 's good to admit it. I like to associate with what 's happening with the with the language in this particular mm-hmm. book it's the it 's the suffering language and to understand the depths of that suffering, and that again, even though they were dealing with this, there's a a, a few of them that still had the end in
0: mind. Yeah, well, and I think too, to to kind of make a comparison, this question of what are we going to eat? I mean, right, like we're, we're still doing okay. We still have food in the grocery stores and may, maybe you don't get exactly what you want. Um, they don't have my favorite brand of soy milk right now. Uh, but um, but I think there are a lot of people who are afraid of going forward, what could happen. you know, the, the economy's hurt. So we're, it's sort of like, you know, there the, are these people that are surrounded and they're cut off and that's what the siege is supposed to do. Eventually they run out of food, they run out of water, they run out of supplies and then they have to give in. And um, so I think, there's a sense right now, I'm sure, where we feel besieged by this thing that's really slowed things down. You know, a lot of us can't work. Um, oh, hey, we got got another guest here. Hi, Daniel. <laughs> Connecting to audio. Hi there. We're, we're we're working through it, and if I can probably send you a recording later, but uh, we're we're kind of going through the end of the discussion of um, the chapters, and then we're going to have some application at the end. But um, but yeah. <laughs> all right um so porch. Anyway, yeah. yeah that's nice <laughs>
2: all
0: right um so yeah, yeah I, I think there are you know obviously the situation we're in is nowhere close to the situation jeremiah is describing here um but i think that feeling of of, of fear and anxiety and concern about what's going to happen next is very much um you know very very much what we're feeling you know I think we're we're afraid that eventually it's going to be like this, you know. Anyway, so maybe uh, maybe there are some lessons that can be gleaned for those who do st- who do believe in God, who might be wondering, um, you know, where is he right now? If I'm, you know, and everything that's going on. Okay. Uh, any any other uh, any other thoughts on chapter five?
2: trying to remember the other things I was going to ask about chapter four to be honest. Okay. Yeah, the uh, references to women cooking and eating their children is very interesting. And the
0: mm-hmm. fact that it occurs multiple times. Uh, yeah, you, you, you assume if you'd seen that, you might mention it more than once. <laughs> Probably,
2: uh, but its I, I can't remember where it was I heard of a similar act occurring. Uh, and I honestly, I don't even remember if it was in humans or other mammals, mm-hmm. like when, when times got really, I, I happen to think it's in some non-human animal, don't remember which one, but when times get hard, the uh, adults eat the offspring, and uh, the idea is, you know, is, is biologically speaking, the idea is, well, if the adults die, then the offspring are doomed anyway, so you might as well keep the adults alive to then give them a chance to produce more offspring when it, when the crisis is over or whatever.
0: Yeah, that, that's certainly a rationalization. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, um, I recognize that has nothing to do
0: with this book. <laughs> Just Well, yeah. there's a, um, there's a Psalm that's about this experience, um, which is really interesting. And it, I think it brings up questions about, um, what, like, for example, if you believe in inspiration of the Bible, what that means, you know, and, <laughs> some people sort of assume that any, any word or any phrase or sentence that's in the Bible, um, we should treat it as a, as a, um, as a proposition, which is necessarily true. And it can be a little bit more complicated than that. Um, so as I read, um, Psalm 137, this is kind of the famous one that gets used in poems here and there. You may have heard by the, down by the rivers of Babylon used in, in songs like reggae songs and stuff, folk songs. But, um, it's they're talking about these are people who have been taken from judah from their homeland and brought to babylon and resituated and kind of disoriented and they say by the rivers of babylon we sat and wept and we remembered zion which is the name of uh, jerusalem and then he says our captors asked for songs our tormentors demanded songs of joy they said sing us one of the songs of zion and they say how can we sing the songs of the lord while in a foreign land and it goes on and on and the, the last verse is uh happy or blessed is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks
4: yeah.
0: and so they're the, the the this it's this sort of obviously that's their experience that's what's happened to them yeah. and they're reflecting on that and saying you know i hope somebody does that to you too <laughs> mm-hmm. and um I, I, for one, don't necessarily think that that is an, an attitude that I should personally try to cultivate or reflect, but I think it's exactly how they felt. I think it's that, that you know, that experience of, of suffering um, and the way it's expressed, I think, is very normal. And, you know, it's okay to, I think, go through that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but, I mean, just just kind of to make a comparison and talk about these, you know, what's happening to, to the kids in these situations. Yeah, it's awful. All right. All right.
3: It's not just a comparison here. He actually mentions that at the end of chapter four, because he, uh-huh. he says, "Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Eden. This is going to happen to you too, because of your sin." So he's oh, that's he's right. using it, I guess, as a ominous warning a, a little bit to others as well.
0: Yeah. So Edom are their neighbors, who in in theory, you know, they, they had like kind of a familiar clan kind of relationship. Uh, And in theory, they would be, um, you know, maybe allies, but essentially Edom didn't care, didn't reflect, didn't care to help, and seemed to be glad to see what happened to them. So they they sort of reflect, uh, expressed this curse against Edom as well that, you know, we hope the same thing happens to you. So Edom, much like the people who are hoarding toilet paper, no, anyway, Uh, okay. (laughs) so um i'm going to go over just a few of these these kind of uh things we can kind of take away and um and so for for those who who may listen or watch or who are are watching who uh who don't share my perspective uh instead of taking this as my advice for you to how you should think about god you could take this as here's here's what the author of lamentations is saying here's how he I think would answer some of these questions. If we were to take him into our situation and say, what can we learn from your experience to apply to ours? Uh, One thing I think he would say is that we need to be careful about how we apply these biblical passages to our circumstances. So unlike Judah, America does not have a special covenant relationship with God. Uh, Some people are going to be really disappointed and surprised to hear that, but it's true. Also, um, not all suffering is a punishment from God. As Jesus said of the 18 men who were killed by a tower that collapsed on them, do you think that these were more sinful than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So, just because you're experiencing something um, difficult or bad doesn't mean that God is going is is punishing you. Um, but you know, perhaps pain or or fear of suffering could be an impetus to try to get your yourself on track. <laughs> So on the other hand, there are some lessons we can apply to our own time from Lamentations. One is that even amidst suffering, we can and should trust in God. Even if our suffering is a punishment from God, his compassion is greater than his anger, and he is the only one who can deliver us from it. Um, So two is that if God wants to punish or save, nothing can stop him, not even our political alliances or anything else we place our confidence in that isn't God. So I'm 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 a you know, libertarian free market guy. Unfortunately, the free market is not saving us right now. Uh, and hopefully, we get things back on track and things can we can have more security and freedom and peace and that's wonderful. Uh, but ultimately, it's 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 a poor substitute for God. Uh, that also means though, if if nothing uh, can stop him from punishing or saving, uh, that means that we should turn to him in a time of trouble. That's always a good idea. And uh, I have a citation there of Romans eight thirty-five through 39, which I'll read really quickly. <clears throat> Although it's kind of a popular uh, passage, and so there may be some folks here who've already heard it. Romans 8. Pulling up Bible works here. 35 and 39. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creative thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> uh, three is that it's okay to cry out to God when you're in pain, and even to tell him that you feel abandoned by him. As long as you're praying and talking to him, speaking to him, you don't need to feel guilty about letting your feelings out to him. Four is that good people, like the prophet Jeremiah, suffer also. He's right in the middle of this, and in some ways, I mean, he catches a lot of it, (laughs) we'll say. He experiences a lot of it himself. In fact, when God calls him to prophecy against Judah, he tells him, you are not going to want to take a wife or have any kids right now. Um, you know, this is not going to be a good experience, it's not going to end well for you, and you'd probably just be better off um, going through this alone. Uh, So anyway, so those are, um, that is what I pulled together discussing what's going on in Lamentations, what I think we uh, maybe could get from it as we read it. And that is the end of my presentation, and uh, now time to open up to any kind of questions or discussion that we want to have. I haven't heard anything from Daniel yet, so if he wants to add something to that, that'd be cool. <laughs> Aaron, I saw you unmuted first. Whoever wants to go first is fine.
2: I was just gonna ask how everyone's doing right now. Yeah, how is everybody doing right now?
4: Well, I'm, I apologize for being late. It, part of it is the time zone And part of it is uh, Google Calendar didn't pop it up, even though it was in at the correct time, and the Zoom information was not in the calendar invite, so I was a little Uh, confused. Okay, no worries. I'm just, you know, for future, like, reference.
0: Yeah. I think you're green screening.
4: Am I correct?
0: (laughs) Yes. That is my
4: front yard, but I am in my easy chair here. Okay. Okay.
0: I feel like if I were trying to green screen myself somewhere else, I might put myself in Disney World or something. It would really freak people out.
2: Yeah, where you're not supposed to be.
4: <laughs> well, everyone would know I'm not in Paris or, you know.
0: So. <laughs> well, and um, so Daryl is an the associate pastor of my church. And uh, one of the reasons I, I love the church that I go to so much is they're, they're really involved in the community and they're doing a lot of stuff. And uh, Daryl, I know you're keeping busy. So, how, what do you what do you up to? I I
1: appreciate the question. And uh, so we're 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 doing well. We're we're tired. Uh, you know, again, we've got uh, a number of uh, families in our local communities that uh, have been hit hard and continue to be hit hard. And so we're just trying to meet those needs as well as uh, take care of the church itself. You know, the same. Same situation exists for, for for many of those that do uh, that do come to the village, and uh, been uh, you know trying to reach out. A number of our of our leaders in our church have been trying to reach out, and it's been interesting to to hear what they have to say. Many feel many feel lost. I guess yeah. is the easiest way to, to put that. So sure. we're trying to just ease that tension, just like uh, just like we're doing right now, talking and and reading some more and reading some scripture.
0: Well, and, and, and our, our church, the, the Village Church, has done food drives and is trying to make sure that kids who are now home from school who maybe lunch at school is their only meal have that food for the week. Yep. And uh, so a lot of important work's happening. With And actually for a number of school districts, too. We're not just doing uh, ours, right? Correct. Yep. So all, you know, four major
1: school districts in Warren County
0: right now. Yeah. Which, you know, that that's something that I kept trying to figure out if I could make it come out of Lamentations, but I couldn't find a really good uh, verse to jump from. But, um, you know, one, I think one lesson that we've seen Christians throughout church history, I think mostly doing pretty well uh, in, in, in learning and in carrying out, is that the church needs to be there to help people in difficult times. And right. um, you know especially i think about this as as a protestant um you know lo- lo- love my love my wife and daughter but sometimes i think if i were a monk in a monastery and i'd have to worry about making anybody sick <laughs> i could probably do more uh but when you look back and you see you know a lot of the first hospitals i think the first hospitals that were, were created were, were created by christians and i think christian monks and you know whenever there have been difficult situations like this christians often are on the front lines and um I think it's important that we still do that. So can't find a verse of lamentations that says that, but I think that that's uh, I think that's something we should keep in mind.
2: When you were when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was you know, that kind of stuff. Not yeah. in lamentations, of course, but sure.
0: So yeah, you know, Christians have a big Bible. We can pull from anywhere. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious. So you and Daniel have both figured out the backgrounds on this. So I, how, how, how have you managed to change your? Uh,
2: <laughs> oh, I I didn't change my background. I just got tired of COVID nineteen, so I abandoned Earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's You're down sure. by the video option uh, where you can turn your camera on and off.
0: Ah. There's
2: a little arrow thing. Choose
0: virtual background.
2: Yeah, choose virtual background.
0: So hey,
2: now I'm in San Francisco. Okay.
0: Now, that's really, that's, Daryl, because we may be doing this for Bible study. You need to make sure you keep that in mind. That's really going to be important, I think. Right. I'll just keep uh, transitioning between different uh, <laughs> different
1: places as, as we're talking.
4: Yeah. All right. You know, I think the time for practical help is still around the corner for us. I mean, we've all basically waved to our neighbors from greater than a six feet distance. That's all we're doing for each other right now. And sure. maybe comforting each other over the phone, but... Uh, No one has run out of food yet. No one has needed care because they are sick or dying, and probably they'll go to the hospital. So unless we visit them there, I don't know how. It's going to be hard to be a practical help during this time. Uh, You know, we're not at the point of burying the dead yet. So, yeah, I don't know what kind of practical help we can be besides a listening ear.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting to think about this because we're – we've kind of built a culture where we're we're much more isolated and we have a lot less, um, you know, I I think neighborliness as, not just in the sense that we care about our neighbors, but the sense that we're involved in each other's lives and are checking in on each other. Um, I think I might know the names of two or three of my neighbors and I shouldn't obviously know more than that. (laughs) But If if you have kids, it's probably a little easier so yeah your neighbors quite honestly yeah but but i think it's, it's easy to just whatever culture you're in to kind of fall in line to whatever is normal right uh so we've uh you know because we have air conditioning and don't have to sit on our front porch in the heat of the day and because we have garage door openers don't have to get out of our car to say hello <laughs> it's uh yeah we've lost a lot of that so yeah but you know, we've been
4: thinking a lot about how we're going to be helpful. We, we're praying for our neighbors, and we don't know what else to do. Uh, although there are food drives here yeah. that we are, you know, many of us are participating in. But besides that, as a church, I don't think we've—I don't know if we've done very much.
2: Yeah, I feel like uh, uh, Mark. Were you going to say something? Is it focused on you. Go ahead. Um. I don't know. Someone said, keep an ear open. I don't remember if that was Cody or Daniel, but because uh, I'm thinking like the things that I've been trying to do to be helpful. Um, well, with with Cody mentioned the, vol- the observatory that I volunteer at. Uh, they're transitioning to doing all of their programming online because... No one's gonna come on a field trip. And now, as of, well, as of today, uh, they're not even allowed to be open by order of the, uh, the state health department. Um, so they are trying to figure out how to produce content for YouTube and do live streams and stuff like that. And you know, I've been offering whatever help I can on that front. And my mom, who is a giant technophobe, uh, she's a mental health counselor, and uh, she's allowed to continue working, but a lot of her clients aren't going to want to go to her office, nor should they go to her office. So I sh- have been setting her up with a, a new computer so that she can use Zoom and and uh, to communicate with her clients remotely. And uh, I've got a friend of mine who's in his 80s. <coughs> He was down in Florida when all this got really bad, just returned uh, late Sunday night. And so I was checking in on him and stuff. So it's not necessarily, like the point that I'm trying to make, first of all, I'm not trying to say like, oh, look at all the great stuff I'm doing, any of that garbage. I'm just saying like, hey, it's not necessarily the big giant group efforts that are The only things are important. It's also just the small things, just anything and everything you can do to be useful to someone else in some way or another.
0: Do do as much as you can to help uh, while maintaining as much distance as possible. (laughs) Physical distance. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, even just staying at home is an act of care for other people, especially when you would rather not. That's Uh,
2: I've I've enjoyed that
0: meme that
4: said, we're all televangelists now. Uh (laughs)
0: Yeah, um, that's true. Nice Part to,
2: from, to Sorry, go on, Aaron. Uh, that reminded me of another one uh, I saw recently. Your grandparents were asked to go to war. You're being asked to stay on your couch. You can do this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, um, I mean, we, we, we any, any other discussion of, of lamentations we want to do? Or do we think we want to uh, try to wrap things up? Or anybody have any other thoughts? I'd be especially curious to hear Aaron's perspective as a skeptic, because as I said, it's definitely one of the more difficult books to read in the old Testament when it comes to reading about pain and suffering and how God fits into it. Um, Well, I
2: don't necessarily have any thoughts to be honest. Like I'm, I'm, uh, first of all, even though I messaged you earlier and asked which version should I read. I then got really busy with a bunch of stuff. So I actually didn't get a chance to read it first. Okay. I have been uh, exposed to it before because I have actually listened to like the audio version of the entire Bible, the, the King James version. So I've, it's been a while and uh, it's definitely not fresh in my mind, but um I mean, I don't know. I don't really have anything to say other than uh, your interpretation seems perfectly reasonable. It's uh...
4: well, I'd like to make a comment, and that is, I think the existence of suffering and death uh, is one of the biggest challenges to Christianity. You know, the hiddenness of God, and 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 the problem of evil. I mean, that's what comes out in these times, and it really tests people's faith. And if you're a skeptic, this just seems to confirm that there is no loving god and so part of being christian is if we have a an active living faith that we have to show yes there is a loving god now that doesn't really prove that god exists it just proves that you know that there is a positive force in the world whether it's just the idea of god or the actual god animating uh the concern of christians but uh this is a tough time for a lot of people's faith
2: uh including christians it's true. And I also want to emphasize that I, I am not the kind of person who says, like, oh, there's evil and suffering in the world, therefore there is no God. Uh, like, my official, if I were to pick a stance, one way or the other, my stance... If you had like, to be
4: pinned down.
2: My default stance, what I call the most intellectually honest answer possible, is I don't know. And um, so that's not saying that this is all evidence against. It's just saying, I don't know, which is why I'm here to learn, because maybe well, eventually one day I will fall one way or the other. Yeah.
0: Well, as, as, as I, we kind of discussed earlier, as I see it, uh, all the answers we give are not without problems, right, with suffering. Because, you know, either either we suffer and it doesn't matter, or we suffer and God can't do anything about it, Or we suffer and God seems to be okay with it right now. (laughs) And, uh, you know, all of those are problematic from an emotional perspective, at least. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want
4: to get long-winded here, but, you know, I left the faith for maybe eight years and explored, and I had my own doubts and explored Buddhism and yoga and Course in Miracles and unbelief. And one of the things I realized is that the problem of evil and suffering is a challenge for every worldview, and every worldview has answers. And... All, almost all of those answers are insufficient. Um, so one of the reasons I returned to Christianity is because I thought overall it had the most convincing and systematic and integrated worldview. But it certainly doesn't mean that all the questions, especially these difficult ones, are answered to my satisfaction yeah. uh,
0: by anyone. Yeah, so, so, Sam. Yeah, I I, I I don't sit at funerals smirking because I don't, I think we've all everything's been resolved and there's no I don't have any issues with it. You know, but when, when something bad happens, I, I still I still don't care for it. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I, all I just say, you know, everyone is going to need emotional support here, including people of faith. Um, for a lot of people, this is going to test whether or not their faith was. You know, shallow or not, and they may find themselves in a place of unbelief uh, through this. That's something to think about, maybe strategize for. I don't know.